Okay, wake up in the morning and I go and get the paper. Gotta get the paper. Every morning gotta go and get the paper. And a nice cup of coffee. Order one with two espresso shots and they call red eye. Ain't no telling how many. Okay, so welcome to episode 10. T E N of the Great Underreaction Podcast, a satirical sports podcast with me, Callum White, and as always, Andrew Ernesto Seaton. Andrew, how are you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't like that how are you question. I think we should raise <laughs> that from the top of the show. I don't think anyone cares how I am. I think we should I go think- straight into like into the podcast. It's like how are you? And then I say fine. Everyone knows I'm gonna say fine. And then I'm gonna ask you. And then you're going to say fine. I just think it I mean, can do better. I want it to be like, you know, like episode 10, Callum, is ballroom dancing a sport? And then you have to like answer straight away. Boom. Yes. Um, it, okay. It is well, a sport. Let's, do you want to, do you want to try again? Do you want me to cut uh, and restart? <laughs> no, no. I'm just saying, I'm just letting you know. Well, I think you just uh, wanted to start the podcast off by making sure everyone knows that you do not care <laughs> that I asked how you are. I just think we could do with a, a better intro seg- way okay. of doing the show. You know, like, hi, I'm it's Andrew like- Seaton from the University of St. Andrews. And Callum, tell me 10 facts about yourself. <laughs> that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We've got to be a better way of, you know, like a little, just how are you is, it's banal. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got to be honest. When I said, are you ready to go? <laughs> <laughs> and then hit start. I wasn't planning on having the way I opened the show interrogated live on air. Mm. So well, we can always cut that out. point before. We could. Well, I didn't realize until you said the question and then I thought, we can do better. Right, okay. Let's go from the top again. Okay. Wake up in the morning and I go and get the paper. Gotta get the paper. Every morning gotta go and get the paper. And a nice cup of coffee. Order one with two espresso shots and they call red eye. Ain't no telling Welcome to episode 10 of the Great Underreaction Podcast. A satirical sports podcast with me. Callum White and Andrew Ernesto Seaton. Andrew, fuck you. So, going on to the great underreaction for the week. Um, Wait, no, 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 no. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. That, you can't insult me. That that not not, not, no, you don't create the atmosphere that we want. Right. It's like, look, okay. I've, I've got some things to talk about. Okay. Uh, just to recap on the last week or the week before, whenever we last had a podcast, I lose track of time. Uh, I had some listener feedback from the last episode, and I just wanted to relay some of that to you. So most of the feedback was on the sport or not sport section, where we tried to get to the bottom of what is a sport. And on that topic, we were having a lot of trouble with things like what's the difference between gymnastics and a dance competition and figure skating or ballroom dancing and that sort of stuff. And our friend Ross messaged me to say that what we're forgetting is in things like gymnastics, there's only a finite number of moves that you're allowed to do and you're judged against the perfect version of those moves. 
and that is the constraint that make, makes it different from like just doing any old dance that you feel like so there you go i thought that was actually a really clear di distinction and right but there uh, are only a certain number of dance moves that you can perform and it still be a rumba if watching strictly come dancing has taught me anything it's that if you deviate from the established moves then you'll get docked marks so right i i think so, so you're, I think you're saying that that proves that ballroom dancing is a sport i would say that my friend ross would claim that ballroom dancing and this is is a sport and that, that this is why yeah because there's a as over over just like do whatever they feel like like a music competition or like any old thing where you could just have to perform and there's creativity i don't know i just thought that was an interesting thing that I hadn't, we hadn't noted about the gymnastics and all that right okay yeah you Is don't there think, any more feedback uh yeah um uh I've, we've got a mutual friend who's a spurs fan and he texted me to say he almost crashed his car when he was listening because we both said <laughs> we, should, we both said should we be spurs fans and that, that would have been a lovely silver lining to crash a spurs fan's car uh it would have been excellent it would have been so good anyway. i was thinking because i watched the a large part of the spurs game last night and you know i couldn't be a spurs fan because you can take all the factors we outlined into account. And I think, you know, the owner's not brilliant, but he's not terrible by all these standards. Like, there seems to be a good ethos in the club. There seems to be a promotion of youth. But ultimately, I could never support a team whose captain is such a mouth breather. <laughs> I just fucking knew it. <laughs> I sit like from. And I was watching minutes. it like, oh my God, he's such a mouth breather. Mm. Indeed. So. That trumps all for me. That's like on my red lines. That's my that's my red line. <laughs> yep, I agree completely. And they were very fluky mm -hmm. to win that match. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had some pushback as well from uh, Mike, who said that orienteering is a sport. It is a sport. It's just it's just running. If running's a sport, it's running. Except you've got a map. I think if if like, is Formula One a sport? Of course, yeah. Okay, and is rally racing a sport? Yeah. Ah, oh, that's the fucking difference. The rally racing is just F one. We've got a fucking map. It's the same with orienteering. Right. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know, like in SATs, when it's like rally car racing is to uh, is to F Formula One as. Um, blank is to running, and the blank is orienteering. I think that couldn't be clearer. That, that couldn't be clearer. Okay, great. Okay, yeah, no, I'm happy to concede that point. Right, we should move on, though, because otherwise we'll talk about sports or not a sport for 20, 30 minutes. We could just rebrand the whole podcast. Sport or not a sport. Just call it. Yep. Yep. No, let's not do that. Let's do the great underreaction of the week. Okay, so our great underreaction for this week is 
are nerds ruining sport for everyone? Which, read another way, is essentially analytics are starting to play a bigger, bigger role in all of the sports that you follow. You weren't as aware of this as a topic, but it definitely is a a big thing. Probably has come more from the American side first. So people will have come to learn about this mostly through the film Moneyball. Have you seen Moneyball? Yeah, it's a great yeah. film. I like really. So essentially, it. the premise was that um, in baseball, baseball is quite a high uh, numbers sport. People who like baseball really like statistics and data. Um, and what nerds did, um, when I say nerds, what I mean is analytically minded people who, who have backgrounds in data science realized that the instead of scouting players or assessing talent based on um, what they saw, i.e. like that guy looks like he's good at throwing, they just went off of spreadsheets and put together what seemed like a sort of ragtag team that ended up, um, I think, winning overall. Um, and that started to bleed into quite a lot of other sports, which we can we can talk about. But does that make sense? That That's essentially analytics penetrating sport. I mean, you're the data scientist. Yeah, that's definitely the, that's definitely the trend of the last, you know, 10, 10, 15 years, I guess. I think that Moneyball team was quite a while ago now 10 years ago or something yeah like yeah definitely at least um yeah and then i guess what we're talking about more is the kind of the pushback from fans and journalists and m- more what i've seen is ex-players and ex-players saying that analytics are um ruining the sport in some way you know they're diminishing it in some way right that seems to be the general th- theme of their complaints like what they think is wrong bad with it differs but there's some sort of sense in like something pure has been lost yeah definitely the purity from the sport element i think is quite important the like sense that sport was this non-professionalized pastime that has since become infected by these like people who don't really have like the idea is that you could be come really good at working in a in a baseball front office so signing players and giving out contracts and stuff and not like baseball or even really understand too much about what happens at the elite levels of the sport mm-hmm. so it's like it's yeah. like a sport person against anti-sport person and the anti-sport people are winning right except that they're not really anti-sport right yeah well, we can go into talk about this. So, right. I mean, I've talked about baseball, but some other um, sports which have been infected by this uh, trend. So the Golden State um, Warriors basketball team um, are the, the kind of like picture of the new NBA, which is analytically driven, which is all about shooting mm-hmm. for more three points. So some nerds got their spreadsheet data and said that the average value of a shot is much higher so like the number of shots that you take for threes will over the long term lead to more points than going for twos 
So they started shooting for more threes and then became this super dominant uh, basketball team. And then the rest of the league sort of ca- catches up as well. So the the way that they modeled mm-hmm. their team was different. The emphasis that they placed on the ability to do certain functions was all about percentage values according to all of this data that we've got. Um, in American football, that's also happened. Um, American football is all about either trying to run the ball or pass the ball. And kind of old school football is that you run the ball, which is where you just, the quarterback just turns around and hands it to a guy who runs forward. And that's seen as like the mm-hmm. way to stamp your authority on the game. There's no risk involved with it. You try and like old school beat your opponent down by just like running it down their throats and they, they get tired and then you can start throwing it. And the and that's called, that's what they talk about when they say they need the need to establish the run game. Yeah. Establish the run. Is that what that means? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and that has been proven, you know, the, the data scientists have said, no, the average value of a, of a run is way, way, way less than the, the average value of a pass. We need to keep trying to pass all the time. We need to start passing way earlier in the game, way more. Um, and that that's totally changed the game in the last 10 years. Like the number of running backs that are, are getting paid lots of money now is completely down compared to what it was 10 years ago even. And then we're even mm. starting to see it in um, British football conventional soccer Mm -hmm. where um, teams are purchasing players based on analytical scouting networks. So um, Arsenal Mm. got bought or acquired this company called StatDNA. There's a a number of companies and a a number of clubs using them. Some use StatDNA and then bought players like they get all this information and they put it in spreadsheets and then, so for example, for Torreira, they wanted to get a player who was like N'Golo Kante and put all of N'Golo Kante's data into the spreadsheet and a number of options appeared, one of which was Torreira, who they then went and signed. So it's kind of mm. like the attempt to narrow everything that exists on a sporting field down to a set of numbers and then start making quantifications or adjustments based on what those start to tell you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're a data scientist, Andrew. Is this a good thing Mm -hmm. or is this a bad thing? Um, Well, one thing, just going back to the Premier League, what I thought you were going to say when you said in British sport, we were talking about how the run game has changed in the NFL. What I thought you were going to say was in the Premier League, now you see many more teams running to the byline and playing cutbacks along the ground, right? instead of pinging crosses into the box. And that is a change that was driven by data. That was a change that was driven by the observation that crosses aren't that successful. Crosses through the air are really hard to get right. And that the expected goals created by getting to the byline and passing a ball along the ground into the box are much higher and that's why that's why that's like the man city model right just get it to the byline and cut it back but lots more teams do it now as well and that's another example of of the way football's changed as a result uh, i didn't know anyway, that i just one. wanted to flag that yeah i didn't know that yeah that that's 
Yeah, that's really interesting. So that's why actually I think the number of crosses has dropped in, in the top teams anyway. If you've got the quality to get the ball to feet by, near the byline, then you should do that instead of just pinging in across as soon as you get to the edge of the penalty area. Mm. Uh, it's anyway. an interesting thing though because so, these like if you're just looking at it on the surface these correlations can start to self-perpetuate so like the value of a cross into the box is going to go down if you don't value the cross into the box and your striker's five foot two you know right yeah that's actually a really important point so what you're doing here is you're you're making judgments based on observations in the past about the way the game was played in the past, right? And that includes all of the tendencies and proclivities of all the teams that were playing in the past. So, you know, it wouldn't. Maybe something will happen in the NFL, say, where there's defenses figure out a way to stop passing being so effective, and it'll it'll revert back to the run game. Maybe that'll happen, right? Yeah, like, I don't know. Because suddenly, all you you've got all these guys who are playing against the pass. They're all really fast and, and small. And then you get your team to be massive and the tiny little small. You know, it's like a little bit like when uh, Barcelona play against, I don't know, Burnley or someone. And, you know, your model of ideal football has moved more and more towards smaller, more technical, faster players. And then you get a team of mm-hmm. like six foot five hulk type characters and they just you know <laughs> at what point can you does your analytics model not take into account just getting the absolute shite kicked out of you <laughs> right exactly because it's all you shouldn't forget a lot it's not like there's a, a theory for how the sport works that has models for the decision making and the way players are moving and understanding like a science of how the game works it's more about correlations that you've observed in the past and just making decisions based on correlations that you've observed in the past, but you, you're you not making any assumptions about what fundamentally caused those patterns that you're seeing in the data, right? You're not, that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, just because it worked in the past doesn't mean it's a guaranteed thing all the way into the future because it's constantly going to evolve and then your data in the past is going to become obsolete because... Now it turns out you're playing a different game. So an interesting test case for this is um, XG. So for those who don't know what XG is, XG is expected goals. And as far as I'm aware, Andrew, this is calculated. Opta, who are the main stats providing body for the Premier League and a bunch of other leagues and a bunch of other sports, created this stat called XG, which is based on all of their recorded incidents of um, a player being in a position in the box and shooting, you know, from this angle or from that angle and at this point in the game or that point in the game. And they've tried to take all of the data that they have historically to then say, right, we would expect this to be a goal 0.2% percent of the time or something like that and so even where players score goals they'll say the xg for that was 0.12 so it wasn't a likely goal to be scored and you know arsenal only had 0.4 xg 
but they won 2 0, and then suddenly that becomes very lucky. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think about mm-hmm. XG? Um, so, I think it, it like any number that you are going to. The way, the way analytics works is you're taking this incredibly complex thing that's happening in the real world and you are in some way collapsing that down into some sort of interpretable number. You're kind of trying to get rid of some of the chaos of the real world and you're trying to extract something meaningful from by collapsing the data into something that you can just sort of consume as a human, right? Yeah. So. That's that's the way I view the way expected goals work. And it's a little bit like the way that analytics works in general and that what I think is good for is that it reveals trends and general patterns in the way a team plays or the way a player plays. But it's not the whole story in the same way that um, you hear this sometimes with climate change predictions, right? That there's people struggle to understand the difference between the weather and the climate, mm. right? And the climate is this really predictable thing, right? The average temperature in an, over a month, every every May, it's always within like 0.1 of the degree of the same number, right? But the weather in May on any given day is really changeable. And it's really hard to predict the weather, but you can predict the climate. And it's kind of like that with the with these kind of summary statistics, Right, you you're you kind of collapsing everything that's complicated about a team down, and you're trying to just get a general trend, and that's what the expected goals thing is for. So it's a measure of the quality, the number of scoring chances that your team gets, right? Yeah. But so so it's as useful as what you use it for, right? If you interpret it as a general trend, and you understand the way in which it's calculated, then there's nothing good or bad about the number, right? It's just a fucking number. Right, it's it's like a tool, and you can use it well, or you can interpret it badly. Um, so, I I think there's a lot of value in it, but it, it works in the same way. Um, do you remember at school? Did you ever have to do a line of best fit? Yeah, remember that? Like you had a little plot, and it had just like some points on a graph. Yeah, right, and they were kind of stretched in one direction, and you had to just kind of draw a line through them that kind of. You know, there were as many points above the line as below the line, and they were kind of equally spread around the line. And that's that's fitting the line of best fit. That's all expected goals does, essentially. Um, it, imagine if you had on one axis, it was, um, it was on the y axis, it was the percentage of shots scored that turn into a goal, right? So the percentage of shots that are a goal, and then on the right axis, it's um, angle to the goal. Something like that, right? Yeah. So if you're standing on the on the byline, then your angle to the goal is zero, right? And when you shoot from there, you've got really no no chance of scoring, right? So you don't have many points scoring there. Uh, and then when you're right in front of the goal, your angle is like 90 degrees, then you've got lots of points, right? So you could have just angle to the goal and number of goals, right, per shot attempted or something like that. And then you have to account for the fact that you just try less shots when you're near the byline. Um, and then you would fit a line of best fit through that. So that, and then that would be saying like, when I'm at 75 degrees, the expected number of goals is just that line of best fit. You fit through all of that data that you've observed in the past. And that's really all it is essentially. 
it's more it's just a, doing lots of that simultaneously for lots of different things so it's not just the angle it's the distance and it's not just and it's whether you've just received the ball from a rebound or not or how many defenders are between you and the goal and all these other things right and it's doing that all simultaneously but if you just think about it like a line of best fit then it's just like okay it's kind of the average of the data that i've got which is where that i think it starts to it's where I think it starts to fall down a little bit in the sense that, and this is where the, the like our nerds really ruining sport thing can start to. Now I agree with you that these things are, are useful. And if you're using them incorrectly, then they seem stupid, but hmm. what XG doesn't take into account and can't take into account because it's intangible or probably intangible is how good the player is. So right, it specifically doesn't take into account that. Yeah, so That's, you know, like it's treating, it's treating them all as interchangeable, right? All the players are interchangeable. The only thing that mattered was the the situation on the pitch, right? Yeah. So if if Messi gets the ball and the xG for you know the aggregate of all the data says that he's got a six percent chance of scoring, you would say that he's got a but you you know you like with Messi you might say he's got a seventy percent chance of scoring, but that's a totally right. it's, it's a clash between um, a data led approach which says here's everything that's happened before, and that would suggest this, and then this sort of intangible intuitive approach, which is I'm watching that guy play, he's really good at this, I think he's going to score, mm-hmm. and that's where you know the sort of I'm a a real sport person starts to to clash a little bit with this um, data-led approach because you can only, at an elite level, assess those things if you're a true sport person, right? I, I I would disagree with that. I would say that that's not what the expected goal stat is for. Sure. Right? So you, it all depends on the data that you put into it, right? So how many years back do you go? Which which leagues do you include, right? Are you including League Two and are you including, um, you know, like Kazakhstan League from two thousand and four? Like what what's going in? You know, are you comparing apples and oranges? But the way the way that the the stats works is that what you're trying to do is you're trying to explain the average, right? You're trying to, and that the average is the the line of best fit, right? And then the normal stats approach is that any everything that's not explained by your line is just random noise, right? So it, it could just be above or below the line, but an equal probability. And that's why it's the line of best fit, right? It kind of goes through the middle of everything. And it doesn't go perfectly through everything, but it's kind of everything around it is just kind of random. And we know that that's wrong. We know that some players are better than other players. And Messi will always be above that line, right? He'll always be scoring more than you think, right? And teams will be above that line. Arsenal will be above that line. Yeah, Barcelona will be above that line, right? Because you're comparing Barcelona to the average of however many leagues over how many years you put into your model for expected goals. What you can do, there's nothing in principle to say you could build a model for Messi. You could have Messi's expected goals, right? Yeah. The drawback there is you have less data, right? So maybe you could do only Champions League players, 
right? You could have the expected goal for Champions League quality players, right? And then you could see if that maybe captured more of what it's like to be Lionel Messi, right? If there's not enough detail, not enough games, not enough shots, because what you want is it's not just Messi scored how many goals in his career, like 400 goals, right? But what you want is like, he needs to have been in this exact position a number of times. The exact, this exact combination of circumstances. And I need to observe that a bunch of times so that I can get a good idea what the average is, right? And if I only observe that situation once or twice, then I've got no idea really what the average is. But if I've observed it a hundred times, I've got a good idea what the average is. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it, the, the, it is a bit misleading, the expected goal thing, if you, because you have to know that it's the average of whatever data went into it. And I don't know what Opta put into it. Do you know what they put into it? I, I have no idea. Um, wow. but, but that's when, but that's it's when you say, isn't it? It's, um, it's all of the, so it's all of the shots that have been taken from that position with certain other circumstances um but in, in which in which leagues and for which years and and that, that's what i mean like oh, which yeah, teams yeah, yeah I, I don't mean, know so, if I, you, so i if think you, the if you, xg for the premier league is only the premier league i don't think it includes um the championship right. or like you can't have league two for yeah. example right so that inc- that included you know the the bolton team that got like 12 points right you know, it, include, it includes all of the worst teams and all of the best teams. Okay. Yep. yep. So, yeah, I, I, I get, it goes back to my point about like the perspective you take. Are you showing a general trend or are you trying to predict the weather? Right. And, and whether Lionel Messi will score that specific chance is like predicting the weather. Right. But whether on average Barcelona with that will score this expected number of goals, whatever, that's the thing that on average will work out with some weather around it some random you know the intangibles well no so i would say that um i mean this isn't just about xg but i would say that the point is that on that point you can always expect an elite team to outperform their xg so you can't keep Uh looking at xg and saying Uh oh like they're on a run of good fortune at the moment because they were only supposed to score 1.2 goals in the last three games but they actually scored three goals because Mm -hmm. What happens is that you have an elite player mm. who's making a difference there, and so they convert a higher percentage of their mm. unlikely chances. That's mm. like why your world class striker costs eighty five million pounds because they yeah. are the one percent difference between them and the yeah. the group below. To- totally, but there's nothing there's nothing fundamentally difficult about that. Right, you could do something. You could upweight the, um, you could upweight the chances for the best teams, right? You could just upweight like the it, based on the league table, right? You could just say, okay, you're first in the league. That means I'm just gonna lift all of your expected goals up just a little bit, and you're the bottom of the league. So I'm just gonna bring all your expected goals down just a little bit. No, that right? doesn't and work. You, and how and how much you how much you do it up and down, right? You you that's just another line of best fit that you're fitting that's just another i don't i don't think that works right? because um that assumes an equally created number of chances the team might not be better at converting but might create three times more chances and therefore be 22 places higher in a league 
but that would show up in their expected goals. If they if they create twenty two more chances, their expected goals for the whole match will be higher. Hmm. I was talking. I was thinking now from the perspective of a team's entire match or something, right? Right. Yeah, and, well, and how much you upweight the top one and downweight the bottom one—that's just another thing you estimate from past data. It does sound a little bit to me like you're ruining sport. Um. <laughs> I mean, these these are things. If you wanted to, that's what you would do if you were betting. That's what I would do if I was betting. Well, that was the right? point that I was going to bring up: is that there are two reasons that these movements have grown. Uh, one is that we have access to data that didn't exist 10, 15, 20 years ago and that the the ball has a microchip in it now and we can calculate where the ball's gone everywhere and every player's got a microchip in them now. So they've got a little chip in their boot which tracks their movements, their sprints, their passes and I think they also wear like little um, like sports bras sometimes as well, don't they? So like we can tell where they've been exactly. We can tell mm-hmm. how many passes they've made. We can tell how much they've run. We can tell how many sprints they've done. And you couldn't do that in 1996. We just didn't have that information available. No. But the other thing is that the sports betting market has proliferated uh, in line with the the internet and personal devices. So the ability to bet on your phone means that the sports gambling market has absolutely exploded. And wherever gambling has proliferated, you have invested bodies with large amounts of money who are making all of these decisions based on numbers and probabilities. So I might take my £10 and be like, do you know what? I just feel like... I just feel like Carl Jenkinson's going to score a hat trick today <laughs> and put ten pounds down. The gambling consortium will have information which says they'll run a whole bunch of probabilities, all of the data they can get. They will run probabilities on it and then say, "Right, we're going to bet ten grand here. We're going to bet ten grand there. We're going to bet ten grand here," and they're doing this in a much, much, much more sophisticated probability numbers generated way Mm. yeah and so you know they're driving part of this market too Mm. it's not just clubs wanting this it's everything wants this it's fifa wants this it's gambling markets want this it's like now fans want this we're obsessed with optostats and yeah uh, tracking their players like after 20 minutes I want a player rating because I can get one now I, I think I, I I agree with you in the sense that on the expect going back to the expected goals thing there is a, a sense in which it's a it's a, it's misleading because it doesn't take into account of the quality of the player right but if you know that it doesn't then it's still a useful number and that the way I think of all of these things, is as potentially useful, emphasis on potentially, potentially useful summaries of a complex system, right? And it's best not to think of them as capturing some sort of objective truth about the sport, right? And and that's the way, much more the way I think about it. It's a potentially useful summary to know if you plot a map of every shot a team had in the last season and you, and you colored the 
dots of where they had shots according to the expected goals, right? And then you'd have a map that you could look at a picture, one picture that showed you areas of the pitch where that team creates their best chances. And the definition of best is just relative to the average in the Premier League, right? And you just you just understand that that's what your definition of best is in that context of that picture, right? And then you can take that picture and say, this is how they tend to try and play, and this is how they make their best chances, and you can think about trying to stop that. But that's not the end of the story. You need to think about whether they've signed any new players this season, whether they're going to try and do something different because they're not going to stand still either and blah, blah, blah. And then it goes... You know, this is just stuff that goes to decision makers who use it as a piece in the puzzle of what they're going to do in their next match, right? So I just, I, I really, I really think that it's, it's just useful, potentially useful information, and it all depends on what you do with it and whether you understand it or not. Well, so this comes back to the the great underreaction. So if the question is. Are super nerds really ruining sport? You have to say that if you just look at the management structures of teams, the answer has to be no. Because Frank Clampard's the coach of Chelsea. Right. He's not a data analyst. Like, I reckon he's probably still not figured out how to install the app for his ring doorbell system. Like, we're still employing former players who are like football people to be the coaches of the teams. Gareth Southgate's the England manager because he's a football guy, mm-hmm. not because he's a data analyst wizard. So he might get given a briefing from the football analyst person who'll say, do you know, we think that it would be more profitable to cut the ball back instead of crossing it in. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's still the traditional structure of former player. And I mean, you have to say it's probably going to be former white player who was captain of the team, then becomes manager. Mm-hmm. And Steve Bruce was a manager, and Frank Lampard's a manager. And there's all of these like former players who are still in the, the key decision making positions when it comes to setting up the teams to play so data is becoming useful for us but it's not ruining sport no and i mean it has the potential to ruin some things right and there's the great example of louis van gaal did you know louis van gaal when he was managing man united that there was a rule in the team that you had to take a touch before you shot at goal in every single context, right? And that was because Louis van Gaal had badly interpreted some numbers, right? And the numbers appeared to show to Louis van Gaal that taking a touch and then shooting leads to a higher expected, kind of like the three points, two points thing you're talking about with basketball. Louis van Gaal thought he'd figured out the equivalent for football and it was to always take a touch no matter what the context, right? And this is demonstrably wrong. It's a stupid rule. Right, but it's a missing up like the cause and effect and not capturing the whole picture, right? So like maybe you take a touch when you've got shit loads of time and that's why those yeah. shots always look like they are the ones that are gonna go in, right? But sometimes it's worth shooting in a tight spot in the penalty area. 
when you've just got a sight at goal and just go for it. And the Man United, right. so Man United, United players... time to take a touch, then your scoring opportunity was already better. Yeah, and there was this chance. It fell to Wayne Rooney in the box, and it was it was like in the he was in the six yard box, and he took a touch and then shot, and it, it flukily deflected in, right? But he could have just shot first time, and it would have been a guaranteed goal. And it, he looked really embarrassed that he'd taken a touch. And then I remember reading the news article after the game that. After actually, it was after it was much later, a few months later, after Louis Van Gaal got fired and all the players started moaning in public, and that one came out. So that's an example of where, like, yeah, the, the data has been used badly, and the and the result is a less satisfying product for a fan. But I mean, it, I go back to it; it's, it's, they're potentially useful numbers. If you use them badly, it's you, you're you're it's going to be bad. If you use them well, I don't. I don't think there's a problem. I just don't see how there is a problem if they're used well. No team, well, no team. Try asking any fans of that Moneyball team or that ba- ba- uh, basketball team you mentioned. I'm forgetting both their names, actually. Um, Golden State Warriors. Golden State Warriors. I bet no fans in that team cared that year when they were dominating. That was based on analytics. Right. And none of them felt their sport was being ruined. Well, you would say that because you're... Uh... <laughs> I mean, it's just useful. Have you seen these pass sonar maps? Have you seen yeah. that? It's like in every pat. It's like the whole football pitch is gridded up, and in each pitch there's a little pie chart, and it just shows you the direction and the success rate of passes in every direction from that part of the pitch. So, in one picture, you're you're not saying that all of football is reducible to pass sonar. And you're not saying that footballers, when they're playing in their head, they have this pass sonar, they're playing at football, they have in their head a, a pass sonar map that they're thinking about or thinking about the pass sonar map of the other team. But it's a, an amazing way to summarize the whole way a team plays. If you look at those things, you can see um, you can see how vertical Liverpool like to play. Like their passes just look like they go up and down the pitch more than, say, Man City, who you can see much more of the pass around the edge of the box you know, in that U-shape that they do, just back and forth, back and forth. And you can see this all in one picture. And it's just like a really handy thing to be able to look at without you don't have to watch a thousand hours of video. And that's what I mean. It, it, it's almost like an efficiency gain more than anything. I'm not sure there's anything in these numbers that you couldn't get by watching shitloads of video over and over again and looking out for the thing, that, the question that you've got in mind. But this is like an efficiency thing, right? You can just do it with a model on your computer and it just spits out some numbers. It does the averaging and figuring out. It does almost like it does the watching of a thousand hours tape for you. What do you think? No, I think that's a good way to look at it. So ultimately we say sports not being ruined by the nerds. No, absolutely. But then we are both nerds. Yeah. You're much more of a nerd than me though. I'm much (laughs) Right, should we move on to mm. uh, something more frivolous? Yeah, let's do it. Do you want to do your frivolous story first, or shall I do mine? Okay, I'll do mine. So, <laughs> Hard Knocks started last week. Hard Knocks is back. Oh, we need to we need to leave a space for me to put the Hard Knocks <laughs> Hard Knocks music in. And if you listen to the show last year when Hard Knocks started, you'll remember the theme music. But if you didn't, it sounds like this.
Sounds exactly like that. Yeah. Right. So okay. Uh, Hard Knocks is back, and this year it's the Oakland Raiders, and um, it wasn't quite at the level of the Cleveland Browns. I didn't think episode one, but that's just because I really, really enjoyed that guy last year, Caduced. Who, who loved his crystals and he talked a lot about his crystals and his vibes and his good energy and it didn't quite have anyone to that level of crazy but they did he fucking love his crystals man <laughs> he loved his crystals remember when he picked up the black one off the shelf and he was like oh i can even feel it making me feel tired right now i better put it back <laughs> he was like whoa <laughs> whoa what a head <laughs> anyway and this year it's Oakland raiders and they do have a little bit of a character in antonio brown who's just they signed do. for them and he's like the best wide receiver in the league and uh, he turned up to training camp in a hot air balloon, right? Which is quite the entrance to make, right? He he, he knows he's like the best player in the team. He's probably earning the mo- one of the higher wages in the whole team, if not the highest. I don't know relative to the quarterback, maybe. Anyway, he arrives in a hot air balloon and he's like, I'm the fucking man, except <laughs> he's actually got frostbite in both his feet. Do you know how he got frostbite, Callum? I do, but you should tell me anyway. He got frostbite when he was in France over the off-season and he went in a cryotherapy chamber and he forgot to wear sandals. (laughs) So basically you have to wear these. They're a very cold room that you go into for a very short period of time and it kind of shocks your body into like um, increasing the blood flow, right? And that's the idea. But he went in without wearing the proper sandals and he got frostbite in his feet and the the soles of his feet are peeling and he can't play football. He can't run. He can't run. And set aside the fact that it's it was a self um it was a self induced injury. But what sort of a person do you have to be like to know that you've given yourself frostbite, your feet are peeling, and you can't train, but you're still going to turn up in your hot air balloon <laughs> and make a huge entrance like you're the fucking man? <laughs> he turned up in a hot air balloon, and then he's like, yeah, but I, can't play fo- I can't play football. I'm going to play like I can't play football, but I do want to turn up in my hot air balloon. <laughs> he's like, he'd already booked it. And he's <laughs> yeah, he'd paid the deposit. It's like something from um, Parks and Recreation or something, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, hilarious. Awkward, awkward. He, um, Antonio Bryan is a notorious character, as you can probably tell by the fact that he turned up with frostbitten feet to practice in a hot air balloon. <laughs> but he, um, he is one of the best receivers of all time. I mean, he's he's really, really, really good. But he just agitated to leave his last team. He like has been a complete diva for years and got into big arguments with his last team, essentially because they had another player who was quite good as well, who they were throwing the ball to sometimes. And he was like, no, this is bullshit. It should only be me. I'm the best. Um, and sat out the last game voluntarily in protest even though if they'd won that, they would have been in the playoffs. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Gets himself, gets himself traded to this other team and then 
gets frostbite on his feet going into a cryogenic chamber. <laughs> and turns up in a hot air room. <laughs> He's currently refusing to practice because the NFL have changed um, the helmets. Mm-hmm. So they've said, um, so they said like two or three years ago, oh, you're not going to be able to use this helmet anymore. So start getting used to another type of helmet because, you know, uh, there's big problems with concussions and this older type of helmet is not as safe as other types. And so he's known that this is going to happen for like two, three years. And now they've said, okay, the time has come. You can't use that helmet anymore. And he's refusing to play because he's not allowed to use his favorite helmet. I heard he had a three-hour conference call uh, with like some legal person at the NFL trying to (laughs) argue that he was going to wear his fucking helmet. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Imagine that. He's a diva. I, I quite enjoyed that he's not, he's no longer at the training camp. And it, it the head coach, I forget his name. Um, John Gruden. John Gruden, he was asked, where's he gone? And he said he's gone to gather information regarding his injury. And they, they, he was he's like, I'm just going to leave it. I'm just going to leave it at that. And then I think it was yesterday, his press conference, he was asked again about Antonio Brown. And his response was just, he's still gathering and that was the song <laughs> like he was furious with Antonio Brown and he was just like that guy still fucking gathering I don't know what he's doing um, well so. I do have an update on uh, Devin Caduce our star from last season oh Chris, on, have the crystals treated him well on January 31st 2019 Caduce announced his retirement from the NFL to pursue spiritual healing and his passion for crystals. No, no, Caduced. <laughs> I love his, like, what are you doing? I'm going to pursue my passion for crystals. <laughs> if his crystals were so fucking good, he'd be in the NFL. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. No, that's a good point. He went to Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> that guy is not smart enough to be Stanford. I know no, even if you're on a football not. scholarship. but Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah. Um, here comes a yeah, big, so here comes a big thud. Big thud. What? Oh, what was that? That was me putting my bottle of rum back down on the table. But this mic is so sensitive. Yeah, yeah. Um, what unusual method would you use to turn up to the season? I don't know, man. I don't think I would do anything like that. And I learned this lesson quite young when I was at a scout camp uh, in Dumfries and Galloway when I was about 10 or 11 years old. And one of the scouts was dropped off by his dad in a helicopter. Wow. And it landed, the helicopter landed in the field we were camping in. And this guy like got out and, and his dad flew his helicopter away. And that kid got bullied to absolute fuck for showing up in a helicopter (laughs) (laughs) so i really think that uh there's no point in putting a target on your back man (laughs) like (laughs) i would just turn up like everyone else i'd drive myself in my little honda jazz because i stay modest i still keep my honda jazz i was gonna say would you drive up in a deliberately unostentatious car i'd get out and instantly start talking about the miles per gallon is a Honda Jazz your car? That's what we've got, yeah. Honda Jazz. But well, you got a problem with Honda Jazz? 
I don't know anyone else who drives a Honda. A Honda? Honda's very reliable. I would have to name <laughs> so many brands of car before I got to Honda. Honda's extremely re- reliable. A good family car, Callum. <laughs> it's been very, very <laughs> reliable. So far as I'm... <laughs> Yeah. God, I would not have not thought about Hondas for a long time. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it's been reliable for you. Yep. Because if it breaks breaks down, then you have to drive 280 miles to get to the nearest Honda garage. Indeed, indeed. Anyway, so that's my story. I just uh, will we'll keep up to date with the uh, hard knocks. I'm sure it's going to be good. Well, yeah, give us more updates on, on hard knocks. If anyone listening doesn't know what hard knocks is... And I know some people listen to this show and they don't like sport. Hard Knocks is probably still worth watching. Are you what eating? You Are you eating right now? I'm having a little bit of marzipan. <laughs> you can't have marzipan when we're recording a podcast. Okay. I thought that you were going to talk for longer, so I just quickly shoved it in my mouth and then you stopped talking. Uh, okay, it's gone. Okay, okay. Would you not say it's worth watching? Oh, yeah, totally. Totally worth watching. Just as a like sociological experiment, insight into the human condition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, that's called hard knocks, and hopefully, someone who's got a passion for crystals will emerge. Mm-hmm. Um, so, my story is about a guy called DJ Cooper. DJ Cooper has been suspended from the. International Basketball Federation, uh, where he was looking to join the Bosnian national team. <laughs> so he he was one time Ohio University, um, mm-hmm. so he was a big like college star, and he's been suspended because he failed uh, routine drug screening. Uh, the reason that he failed was because the urine sample that he deposited revealed that he was pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) So he had been using his uh, girlfriend's urine to pass Mm -hmm. the drugs tests and then submitted it and it turned out that his uh, girlfriend had become with child. So he's now suspended until June of 2020, which I think means that he's not going to be able to join the Bosnian national team either. (laughs) Suspended and expecting. Suspended and expecting. Yes. So that's a pretty pretty alarming way to find out that you've accidentally made a, a human being, isn't it? That is really amazing that that a he thought that that would work you know just like i'm just gonna give like a completely different gender for one thing and then have you got a dog oh no my window's open hang on let me shut let me shut the window hang on (laughs) i was in your house made literally no difference (laughs) The neighbor walking a dog. Piece of shit. Glass of regions. Anyway, uh, uh, you were saying it was amazing. Uh, I mean, it's amazing that you, you that he didn't think that he would get caught. 
yeah. you know, like well, yeah, he's been doing it for a while. That's my second favorite um, uh, of the uh, weird ways to find out you're pregnant. Yeah, um, yeah. The my favorite is I got this book about algorithms for Christmas last year. Which I know, but I feel like I can bring it up given that we talked about stats earlier in the episode. And um, yeah. it, one of it was about this automatic marketing, like targeted marketing algorithms, right? They try and like figure out exactly the sort of stuff you like and you might want to be, to buy, right? And there was this famous case in in the US with a, there's a shop called Target, which I think is kind of like TK Maxx or something. It kind of just has a bit of everything as far as I can tell. Yeah. And they yeah. started doing this. Like you had, if they would track the things you were buying and on you put it by tracking your loyalty card when you put points on it. And they sent this 13 year old girl a bunch of vouchers for pregnancy related products. So for like my baby's first socks and my baby's first baby grow and you know Jesus. Uh, um you know the extra the extra big pads you need when you're pregnant and everything, right? And the uh <laughs> basically in the pattern of of her purchases had identified that she was probably a pregnant woman. And she was like, but she was thirteen years old and her dad went ballistic and went into the shop and did this like huge like had this huge argument and i think that video went viral and all this stuff and then a few days later there was like this quiet press release from the dad saying like he has since been made aware of situations within his family that he was not aware of prior to going to target (laughs) (laughs) basically target had it completely right (laughs) that she was like 13 and pregnant and and that was oh man so so this happened a few times there was another case of um someone uh, uh someone's wife complaining to tesco that that they kept on getting vouchers for extra large condoms extra large extra uh, not extra large condoms but for like um bulk buying condoms <laughs> like buying 100 condoms and she was i don't understand why we're being marketed this we don't me and my husband don't use condoms please stop marketing it um and that was how she found out about his infidelity so wow. what they do now is to because their their targeting got so good and it got too creepy, they now even though they think they know what you like and what you're gonna want to buy, they put like random noise around it so that you always have the plausible deniability that you've just received a random voucher pack, right? So there'll be like the the condoms in there, but it'll be part of like a random selection of vouchers even though mainly they really think you're going to use the condom one (laughs) so uh it's crazy isn't it absolutely crazy and that is a case of analytics making the world a worse place so maybe we we should revisit like what my data footprint would say about me i reckon just that i'm obscenely boring i do remember after evelyn was born like, despite me never posting on social media about her being born or pictures of her or anything, like, never did I write, I've had a baby now. Mm-hmm. Just because you look up certain websites, mm-hmm. the whole internet knew I had a baby. Yeah. Like, everything that I visited 
all my emails, everything was like, oh, mate, you've just had a baby, which means that you are panicking. You don't know if you've bought the stuff that you're supposed to buy and we're going to aggressively market that you should have bought this or you're a negligent parent. Right. You know, so like the uptick of uh, baby related things that I got was insane, despite Mm. me never actually announcing on any, you know, I didn't even buy stuff online. I just went into boots. So like, yeah, it's crazy. I I had the similar thing with the triathlon. So because I bought some triathlon kit and did I tell you I did my triathlon? No. Oh, I did a triathlon in July. There you go. Oh, well done, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was good. Did you have a map? No map. No yeah, map. Yeah, it's not a sport. <laughs> no, it is a sport. It's just a sport that doesn't involve maps. <laughs> no, I think we. I thought we established earlier that if it's not got a map, then it's not a sport. <laughs> anyway, going back to this. It's a triathlon, so you need three maps. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and one's a different size. There's the the swimming one's really small, cycle one's really big, and the running one's medium. Anyway, <laughs> the uh, after doing that and and during my training, all of the internet just was like, "Do you want to travel to Mozambique and run this ultra marathon? Do you want to watch all of these sport sporting like tips videos, sponsored videos like here's put someone in pure gym doing like an amazing fucking routine. Do it now. And the whole internet just became about working out. Mm. Yeah. And instead of help making me want to work out, it just made me annoyed about the internet. Anyway. Back on the drugs test, my favorite failed drugs test was the um Russian athlete who was the face of their anti-doping campaign for the 2018 Olympics <laughs> failed his drug test. Do you remember that? Oh no, I don't remember that. Wow. He he was a bobsled pilot, and his name was oh, I'm not going to pronounce this. Nadezhda Sergeva, and he wore this T-shirt that said "I don't do doping." And then almost immediately got caught doping. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. It was a Russian that was um, annoyed about Castor Semenya and then said horrible yeah, things yeah, about yeah. it. And and then it got got caught doping. Yeah. Those Russians, those sneaky Russians. Fucking. I mean, uh, Alexander Krushnishevny got um, tested positive for doping. Guess what sport he did? Well, you said bobsleigh. No, no, no. That was a different guy. Oh, sorry. That Alexander Krishnishnevsky uh-huh. got tested positive for doping. He's a curdler. <laughs> what, what, what fucking drugs do I need to make me better at curling that just regular basic exercise won't let me also do? I think that that must be... Uh, it must have something else in his life going on there. Maybe he just likes being what, high. It was just a drugs really. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, That's not doping, though. That's um, substances of abuse. Yeah. It's a different charge. That is crazy. Curling. I can't think of, like, maybe Ritalin. So you're just super fucking focused. I don't know. Yeah. Just drink a Red Bull, mate. Right. Will we do a trope of the week? Yeah, let's do it. 
Right, so the trope of the week. So it's just been the first uh, week of the, the Premier League season. Have you managed to watch many games? I watched Ars- the second half of Arsenal, and that is it. That's all you've seen? I watched uh, the Arsenal game. I watched uh, a bit of the Man United game today. I watched the Spurs game and just shouted, filthy mouth breather, again and again. Um, Should get that on a t-shirt. Oh, man. I'm going to get that sorted out for myself. (laughs) And only wear that as my (laughs) t-shirt. Just like Harry Kane's slackly vacant mouth and then filthy mouth breather written on it. Oh, God. I'd buy it if you made that. If someone was in charge of merch for this podcast, that's what they would do. Louisa. Louisa's not even going to get me a rubber. She, she made merch and then she sent it to you. That's what Louisa did. Oh, she, you never got any? I never got any merch. You never got any merch? Oh, fuck. I didn't know that. What? So I use that rubber, um, all, those rubbers all the time in my little puzzle book. My big, my big book of Sudokus. Uh, you must really enjoy the Sudokus. I can love them, man. <laughs> Can't throw hang on, hang on. Sudoku, 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 sport or not sport? Uh, samurai Sudoku is a sport. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a thing. Um, you can't do that. Yeah, it's Samurai Sudoku. I know. You know what Samurai Sudoku is? Is that the one where it's like five Sudoku in one? Yeah, it's five of them. There's four in the corners and the middle one yeah. links them. That that's is... My, I do, you think that's a sport, but the other one's not. Well, so <laughs> Samurai Sudoku is a sport, and if you do Sudoku but you've got a map, then it's a sport. <laughs> if you do, they should invent that. Orienti but, uh, Sudoku, or whatever you'd call it. Sudoku earring. Orientadoku. Sudoku earring. And you oh. have to do Sudoku at every waypoint in the orienteering challenge. It's Oriendoku. That's a better way of saying it. But then that sounds like almost Orient, which is. Uh... Yeah, and then it gets a bit racial, doesn't it? Oh, dear. <laughs> dear. <laughs> Oriendoku. Orient. Really jammed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, so trope of the week. Um, so one thing that I heard three times in the three games that I watched was um, if you want to be whatever it is that you want to be, then you need to win these sorts of games. So Arsenal, if they wanted to be in the top four, needed to win that sort of game away to Newcastle. Um Man United, if they wanted to challenge for the title, had to win that sort of game, uh, beating Chelsea. Um, Tottenham, if they wanted to get a Champions League place, needed to win that sort of game, i.e. a game where they hadn't played very well. This is a massive trope that ultimately boils down to, if you want to be quite successful you need to win the majority of your games. (laughs) Yep. It's completely useless because it gets used for, like, Arsenal will get said, it will be said of Arsenal, they need to win these sorts of games when they're away at Stoke, when they're uh, playing against one of the big six, when they're a goal goal down at halftime, 
like anytime there's a, a type of adversity for a team, it's, oh, if they want to do this, you need to win these sorts of games. Yeah, if you want to be successful, you just need to win most of your games. That's how the league works. Yeah, I <laughs> sorry, I thought I thought you were gonna keep talking there. Another one. No, I re- resignedly made my point. I clearly <laughs> made my point. I I, I agree with you completely. There is no additional content to that sentence other than just saying this team should really try and win. Yeah, they should really just try and win this game. If you want to be successful try and win your games right if you don't want to be it's not even if you need to be successful if you don't want to be relegated if you you know like yeah it's, it's just <laughs> right so you'll hear it when um when like two teams that might be in the bottom half of the league if you want to avoid relegation battles you have to win these sorts of games yeah if you want to not be relegated you have to win these games indeed you need to win games to that's the aim. It's, um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's definitely a commonly used trope and it definitely has no actual use or meaning. Yeah, I, I think it's a vintage trope of the week, choice. I, I think it is. I think you've covered the main the main ones, right? So it kind of applies to any team in any situation unless they're winning. Yeah, like, exactly. no, one ever, no one says it about a winning team, right? Because they're already winning. <laughs> but it applies to every other situation. So if you're a successful team, and you're playing a rubbish team. Or if you're a successful team and you're playing another successful team, right? Or if you're a mid-table team, but you're looking to push into the top six and you're playing another mid-table team or a successful team or a bottom half of the table team or just fucking anyone, just fucking win your game. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just it, Yeah, I agree completely. And it's an excellent trope of the week and you hear it all the time. And it's kind of, it reminds me a little bit of what was that trope we had in the past? Um, I think it was our first one that the team lack the team lacks leadership in the dressing yeah. room. Like that that sentence was is kind of just indistinguishable from my that team just lost, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that they that that only gets said when a team's lost, right? And that and that's just they should just, have played better. Yeah, and they should have played better. It just means win, and that's the same. They really should win this type of game. Yeah, there is an interesting thing though, which is. I thought you were going to say something about it being early in the season and thus there being yeah. like kind of no consequential games. But that's difficult yeah. because three points is three points always for the rest of the season. And we played Chelsea in the second game last season and we lost 2-0 and we ended yeah. up one point behind Chelsea. So if you wanted to interpret it that way, that was the consequential game that we needed to be winning. If you wanted to. Yeah. You know, so just because it's early doesn't mean things don't matter. But at the same time, that is a completely lazy way of expressing it. I know early season games don't count for fewer points. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Should we do some predictions? Uh, yeah. So I've got my okay. prediction ready to go. So of course you do. Today. You do. Today. Uh, the day of recording, not the day that this podcast is released, but the day of recording, Chelsea lost 4-0 to Manchester United in the opening day of the season. The first game in charge with Lampard in charge as Chelsea manager, the returning legend of the club after one season with 
Championship Club Derby. He's now been made Chelsea manager and his team got hammered in his first game and they were away at Manchester United. And a little bit, my prediction has already happened, (laughs) which is a little bit cheeky, but not really in that I was listening to 606 and they had someone on saying Lampard out. Um, That's not my prediction. My prediction is not my <laughs> prediction is not that Lampard will be fired or that a stupid fan will go in six or six and say it should be fired. My prediction is that they will lose against Chelsea in the Super Cup to a similarly devastating scoreline. That's their next game. Chelsea will lose to Chelsea. Sorry, Chelsea will lose to, lose to Liverpool. Sorry, they're playing Liverpool right. next. I think they're going to lose, and I think they're going to lose badly again. It's another away game. And I think after that, you might see some journalists writing pieces questioning the wisdom of hiring Lampard. On the back of you You might get it before then. You think you'll get it now, this week? Are Chelsea's first two games of the season Man United then Liverpool? But the second one's not the Premier League. They're playing in this weird Super Cup thing. What the fuck is that? Hang on, let me just Google it. The UEFA Super Cup is... It, I think that might be... It's like... A, uh, bah, 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 bah. It's the UEFA Champions League versus the UEFA Europa League winner. So it's like the F- the Community Shield, kind of. What is the point <laughs> in that? When the season starts <laughs> on the 11th of September of August and you're going to host your bullshit, meaningless game? Yeah. Yep. A week later? It's not even a week later. It's on Wednesday. Fuck me. Are you feeling a little bit like there's too much football, Callum? Oh man, just like have some sense. Just wait until that international break that serves no purpose comes out of nowhere after about three weeks of the season. Our first week of September. And I'm going to be the yeah. Yeah. Again. <laughs> every Every season, I lose my rag about it because you're like, let's go, right? This is exciting. Oh, yeah, no, there's been a couple of games. There's some stuff starting to happen. Oh, does my team. Oh, no, we've all pissed off so I can watch us play Georgia. <laughs> complete waste of time jesus christ just play international football in the breaks between the league seasons and stop shoehorning in football left right and center you tell them callum i'm sure that they listen to this podcast as well so it's gonna have to go into a future episode because this is starting to really get my goal i'm gonna have to overreact it again (laughs) and you're gonna have to talk me down (laughs) This podcast is going to become Callum overreacts and Andy comes to voice of I, do, I, I would quite enjoy that. I would just I enjoy winding you up. Uh, remember, do you remember how that the Europa League final was played in a European country that was at war with the country of one of our players? <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> and no one could get to the game because there was only like one flight a week and then you had to take a 12-hour train and there were no hotels. <laughs> <laughs> but it was an oil rich nation, so yeah. I'm sure it was completely all above board and that it was there for completely yeah. purely football reasons. Yeah. Talking about, you know, like administrators who don't have a deep connection with the game, but instead just think about numbers. That's what you need to worry about. It's not fucking analytics. It's 
UEFA pricks. Mm, indeed. Yeah. In it. Right. I'm going to get down the pub with lines like that. <laughs> uh, um, right. So my prediction is going to be cricket-based. Um, so the Ashes uh, are ongoing. The first test has just finished. Um, so you watched the World Cup final, didn't you, Andy? Not really. We we were moving or we'd just moved. Or... But you got a you're aware of its presence, even as someone who doesn't really have any Yeah, and, and we watched the last over and then the super over. We yeah. la- watched the last few um, overs and then the super over on my phone because we don't have internet. So my uh, prediction, so England lost the first test in the end quite, uh, quite significantly, although it was actually quite a, a close test match for most of it. Um, but so my prediction is that England are, are going to lose the, I, I mean, possibly, but if they lose the second test match, uh, which is at Lords, then there's going to be a, a raft of like, England can't play test cricket anymore. England have become a limited oversight. Um, mm. And like uh, the passion and national happiness and this like moment of brilliance that was the world cup which everything had been building up to for months will then just get completely pissed on by journalists who suddenly see england struggling for two matches and are like oh no we've had a fucking disaster and i haven't Mm -hmm. no one knows how to play test cricket because this bunch of twats just want to hit it for six every time um and they're like positive feeling that existed about what came before will just dissipate. Wow, that's a good prediction and I think it's a really good prediction because I feel like I've almost seen that article already after the first test. I feel like I've seen... Oh, really? I'm pretty sure I've seen a piece where it was along... The headline was along the lines of England may rue their focus on one-day internationals or something like that. Whatever the What's the format for the World Cup? Uh, it's one, one day, day yeah. which is 50 overs. Yeah, I think it was that. It was England may, may rue. It was along the lines of England may rue their focus on that. So I think they're all ready yeah. to go. They've teed it up nicely for them. England have messed up. Yeah. There you are. And it's not... It, what's your read? It, it, it seemed like a lot of it was in that... That was that the innings, the second innings for Australia, they did really well. And then in the yeah, la- England were the last inning, missing their very best bowler yeah. as well. And, and England, the thing that you don't really remember because everyone just thinks about you know playing computer game versions of things now, where you don't actually experience tiredness, is that if you have one fewer guy bowling, then the rest of your attack has to run in and exert themselves way more, and they get really tired, and then become less effective right. yeah and steve smith just like thwacked him about the, the highest because he's a very good player and had a good and then a and then pitch. you're going into the last day chasing right so it's kind of like yeah, a do or die yeah. moment and then well it didn't work out no it usually doesn't yeah. all right well good predictions yeah good predictions uh good episode. um i never did find out how you were 
but I guess we'll just never know. <laughs> I do. I, I do want to. No, don't I do care. To. <laughs> I just don't want to. How are you? Fine? You are. Don't tell me how you are. I don't want to know. <laughs> I'm not telling. I'm just saying. I think we should need to update the the start of the show. You know, like how are you? I'm fine. And then the show starts, and it's just dead weight. It's just dead weight. We just need. To, we just go straight. Into right. Just go straight. Into okay. You just say. You uh, know, like the very bad wizards do. It, you know. Yeah, I know that you want to do like very yeah. bad wizards, but we can't just impersonate their. Podcast. Yeah, we can. Let's do it. Let's do it. You'd be like, no, we can't. You'd be like, and, and I'm Callum White from the University of Life. And well, that sounds like I didn't go to university. <laughs> does, does, does got a PhD, <laughs> and I'm not going to say. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm studying at the University of Life, <laughs> the University of Life known as Oxford, <laughs> which is the most opposite of the real world that you could possibly imagine. No, that's true. Oh, maybe I'm just yeah. just uh, I'll feel better in in two weeks' time when you ask me how I am, and I'll just say I'm fine and dandy, and it'll just we can forget. I'm gonna do the same thing as I did for the last eight episodes, <laughs> the last nine episodes. And we're going to keep doing it. And next time you'll just say, I'm doing very well. Thank you, Callum. How are okay. you? And I'll say, I'm doing well. And then we'll continue the pivy banter <laughs> instead of having a long discussion about how it didn't fucking go very well. Um, this has all got very, very negative. I think the the only thing that we can do is get Devin Kajus to <laughs> give us some crystal healing. <laughs> So I'm Good gonna time. I'm gonna play a site with a bit of Devin Kajus. Do you have anything more to say before we get Crystal Healing? Uh, just uh, let me just give you an om. Om. All right, here's here's Devin Kajus. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you the next time. Especially with football, I'm always dang. I messed up this play, or what are people gonna think about this, or what am I gonna do to fix that? I stress a lot about my job. I kind of lose sense of like the simplicity of life itself. Crystals and stones give that back to me quite often. Sujalite, it gives you this protective shield. Tiger's eye for balance. Red jasper gives the sense of courage. Kyanite is known to relax and it gives you this sense of peace. It was one of the first stones I gave to my dad. Kyanite, I feel like the world would need. Zincite is a really strong stone to enhance manifestation of thought. Already I can feel like my head is getting super light holding onto it. 